Thank you, Rob. So glad you're with us this morning. How are my car people out there? Got a few. All right. The brave and rugged few. Need to throw a little love out in the parking lot, too. Remember that. So uh, we are continuing our series, The Kingdom of God. And uh, I've been just having a ball, just digging through the Old Testament, looking for some of these strands of this meta-narrative of God's activity to reign over and call out a special people to be his own, to be inhabitants of this glorious kingdom that he has been putting together. And so we looked at uh, Elijah and then Amos last week. Uh, Amos's critique of Israel, it was pretty harsh. And, uh, um, and I can't help but notice that the nation that Amos confronted, it had some similarities with the nation, this modern nation that I now live in. And so as I thought about that, I came up with some C words to help remember this. They were confident in the strength of their military. They were comfortable in their wealth and prosperity. They were complacent in their religious devotion. As long as we do our part, Lord, you do your part. And so the, the shrines were very active. The sacrifices were being made. And yet somehow the people, the nation was crooked. They were confident, comfortable, complacent. And yet for all of that, there was crookedness that was not addressed. There is society with injustice, greed, immorality, pleasure-loving ease, and vanity. So uh, when Amos points out what's wrong, it also highlights something of what the kingdom of God is like. Because it's clear this is not God's purpose and his intention. And so what do we learn about what that kingdom is like? Well, in that kingdom there is justice. There is generosity instead of greed. There is purity and, and righteousness instead of immorality. Uh, instead of pleasure-loving ease, there is self-sacrificial love. And instead of vanity, there is sincerity, there is humility. So the message of Amos in a nutshell. The kingdom of Israel is not the kingdom of God. It can neither, neither be the kingdom nor inherit it because it has flouted the laws of God and violated the covenant of brotherhood. And yet in Amos, it seems like there still is a glimmer of hope. Maybe, just maybe, if you repent right now, the Lord will relent. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so Yahweh, God of hosts, may be with you as you say he is. God is with us. We can do no wrong is basically what the uh, message had devolved into. We are the chosen ones. We are ones who have the right doctrine. We do it all right. And then the, the, the critique of that that Amos makes, seek good and not evil. All right, but as we know the story, if our Sunday school classes have done their job, 
we know that the people did not repent. And the doom pronounced by Amos, it came with incredible speed. Uh, So much so that a 20-year-old man who would have been laughing in Amos' face because of how ridiculous that message seemed, as a 50-year-old man, he was weeping over the ruin of his nation. That is how quickly things fell apart in northern Israel. But the later half, the later half of the 8th century BC, the nation that had prided itself in its wealth, its self-sufficiency, its religious devotion, that nation was wiped from the face of the earth. And the northern kingdom at that point ceased to exist. Uh, the best of the population, is, which was Assyrian policy, later the Babylonians did a similar thing, was to deport the cream of the crop of the, pro- of the population and then bring other conquered peoples in. And so other conquered peoples come into Israel with all of their pagan beliefs. And uh, the Samaritans are born out of that humiliated remnant. And we know that they are never to be accepted as true Jews again. But even as things are falling apart in Israel, God is not silent. And he doesn't just send Amos. He also sends another interesting character, a guy named Hosea, who comes with a strange living parable message uh, that once again calls out to the people. And Hosea, Amos came before the collapse. Hosea, he's in the collapse in the northern kingdom and uh, lives... Uh, through the, the rapid degradation of that nation. And it broke his heart, even as his own strange family life broke his heart. So uh, this is going on in northern Israel, and while Hosea is up there in the southern kingdom, you have the prophets of Micah and Isaiah beginning their ministry. But let's look at Hosea's picture of the decline of Israel a minute. Uh, And I put scripture references here. You can take a snapshot or get these from me later on uh, if if you're curious to study this more. He describes political vacuum, mad plotting for power, the collapse of law and order, and civil anarchy where life is no longer safe. That's when things really fall apart, when people can't stay safe anymore. Instruction of true religion had lapsed, and the land is filled with paganism. Parents set for their children examples of immorality, which the children only seem to outstrip. It just seems to go from bad to worse. The parents aren't trying anymore. The children who come after them, they're even further into filth and the degradation and sin of society. Um... And instead of crying out to the Lord to help fix things, they try to fix things themselves, looking to political maneuvering to fix our problems. If we just get the right leaders, if we just have the right policies, if we can make the right treaties, it'll fix everything. So I like this quote. They trimmed their foreign policy to every political wind that blew And they were always wrong, 
because they were morally wrong. A guy named uh, John Bright in the Kingdom of God, which is a great study. It's a, it's a history book and it's pretty dense, uh, but it is the place where I'm getting most of my material to help bring to you and share the best of that as I understand it with you. Uh, so Hosea uses these different kind of word images. And even though that ancient language and, and stuff, I don't understand. I don't understand how Israel is what it means to be a half-baked cake. You half-baked cake. I, I don't know. Uh, things weren't cooking up the way they were supposed to be. Care was not given. Uh, uh, the result is not what it was hoped for. And then he uses this image of a silly dove without any sense. It just seems to be fluttering and cooing here. Well, maybe these people can help me. I'll look at Egypt for my salvation. Oh, maybe Assyria are the ones who can save us, who can protect us from everything going on. No sense. Just panic at this point. And then he uses this image of kind of a worn-out old man pretending to be young, just not willing to accept the dignity of their age. Have you ever seen this before? Like an old, maybe he's hitting on a young girl and you think, that's kind of gross. That's just something not right about that. You need to own your age, buddy. You know, stop coloring things. Uh, be proud of those grays. You know, those kind of moments. <laughs> I say that because I'm balding and graying. So all of these pictures he's putting out there to describe the situation. Uh, but something unique Hosea brings in his life is a new understanding, a new way of understanding this covenant bond between God and Israel. In some ways, that bond, it's like a marriage. God married Israel, and Israel committed adultery by worshiping other gods. And if Israel doesn't stop her cheating, if she doesn't stop cheating, it's going to end in divorce. That is basically the picture that Hosea puts out. So Hosea, he goes and he takes this wife of whoredom, and they have kids, and then he gives those kids really strange names. So uh, when it's time for the parents to go to the parent-teacher conference, Hosea and Gomer are there, and they're looking at the artwork of their children, and they're all signed by different names of people, and then they see the, the, the one signed by, I will not be your God. Oh, that's our kid. We're so proud. We're sitting around the dinner table. Hey, not my people. Would you pass the salt, please? So these strange names that he gives. Uh, and he's trying to show something in this life, and God gives him something that he is supposed to show and this longing and loving, even though there is unfaithfulness there. But Israel does not repent. Uh, the divorce happens. The nation is destroyed. Woe to them, for they have wandered from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. And I, I would have redeemed them. But they, they spoke lies against me. Uh, 
But the story doesn't end with destruction. With the prophet Hosea and Israel and his contemporary prophets of Isaiah and Micah working in the southern kingdom of Judah, there's a new idea that springs up at this time that is uh, really important for us in our study of the kingdom of God. An idea of a hope that lies beyond hopelessness. It is the idea of a purified remnant, a new hope of a purified kingdom. There is a remnant who will repent, a purified remnant who will carry on this dream of the kingdom of God, of being his people, not just in heredity, not just in title, but his people in truth because we have purified ourselves from our sins and now we have the right heart. And so there is this hope that we see in the prophets of a purified remnant. And we see it in Hosea, we see it in Micah, we see it in the early chapters of Isaiah. So I'm just going to share, I've got so many good scripture that I'm going to get out of the way and just let the scriptures do the preaching uh, this morning as I read through a number of these that uh, really just show us a wonderful picture. The Israelites will live many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol, and afterwards the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Hosea 3, 4, and 5. And this is from Micah. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. And then from Isaiah in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of, in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who, have, all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. And he will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. So in Hosea, in Isaiah, in Micah, you have a denunciation of the sinfulness of those situations, and you have inevitable doom pronounced. You can't get out of it. That doom is coming. That doom is sure. And while it is too late to escape that day of the Lord, that day of punishment, there is hope that lies beyond hope. But then you see something unique and Micah and Isaiah especially, that even beyond this idea of a purified remnant, there comes an idea, um, an idea of a person, a special representative of God with a special work of redemption to accomplish. And he use, they use language of 
a new David to rule over a new and redeemed Israel, a Messiah to guide us into the kingdom of God. And so we got to go through these, these beautiful verses because we learn so much about this messianic hope and expectation born in the hearts of these people, even while things are falling apart. It doesn't seem like there could be any hope, and yet it's at this darkest time, this darkest time, that these ideas are born and these flickering flames of hope are born in people's hearts, and it seems frivolous. How could, how could I have hope in a time like this? And yet this is the time when this messianic expectation is born and blossoms. In the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. By way of the sea, along the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so these people are holding this, holding this expectation. It's all dark. It's nothing but darkness. But maybe there will be a light that will come one day. Maybe. Someday. See how that can just get into a soul. And then this is, this is in people's, this Jewish heart that is there. And then someday one comes and he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you see how that explosion of hope just comes and blossoms? Or from Isaiah 7.14, there's a ruler who will have a special name. His name will be God is with us. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And this is a ruler whose reign does not diminish. It only grows and increases. It doesn't come to an end. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This ruler will be like a shepherd of people, and he will come from a place called Bethlehem, a nowhere place, Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Arephatha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from the ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. And so they, this is in the Hebrew soul at this point, these prophecies. 
He will stand like a shepherd to his flock in the strength of the Lord. That hope is there, and someone comes generations, hundreds of years later, with humble words, but powerful words, saying things like, I am the good shepherd. And this hope, all the foundation for all of this hope of what God is doing in history, it's being born in a time of destruction and judgment and when things are falling apart and they don't know how to fix it. A ruler whom the Spirit of the Lord rests on him. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He is a ruler who has the ability to bring true justice. History is filled with every ruler who's ever existed saying, I can do that. But there is one who can actually deliver on that promise. And we are so desperate for justice, for justice to be done, for everything that's gone wrong to be put right again. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness the sash around his waist. See, we're, all of the justice that we get comes from people who are making judgments based on what they see and what they hear. But here is one who brings the justice of righteousness because he knows the hearts. And so this idea of a purified remnant and from this purified remnant, this messianic figure would come. Those seeds are being planted in this time. And uh, some people thought this remnant is the restoration of the state of Israel or of Judah. And yet, I think they realized that, no, this is something much bigger than just the restoration of a political entity. This is something bigger than the Jewish state or nation. This is a purified remnant. Those who are going to join with the inhabitants of the kingdom of God itself, a kingdom toward which all history moves. All history is going this direction. And so the kingdom of God in Isaiah and Micah, here are some things that we can learn. And I put the, the verse references here for you. The kingdom of God in Isaiah and Micah in this kingdom, justice shall reign. 
Peace will be unbroken, Isaiah 2, 2 through 4, and Micah 4, 1 through 3. This kingdom is the way in which Israel will finally live up to her destiny to be a blessing to the entire world, a light to the nations. Isaiah 2, verse 3, and Micah 4, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. God rules this kingdom through a prince of David's line who is imbued with God's own spirit, and by this spirit he rules. Isaiah 11, 2. This ruler stands before us not as a fierce warrior, but he is like a little child. Isaiah 9, 6. And he reigns over a people who are transformed by their obedience. And this kingdom, it will endure forever. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. So even as these prophets are dealing with the immediate crisis of the deterioration of these nations, even as judgment is taking place and their hearts are rended and broken by what they see of a people who are unrepentant, and uh, the calamity that comes as these nations are falling apart. Still, even with all of that, you get a sense in looking at like Hosea and uh, Micah and Isaiah, that even though their people are in dire circumstances, you get a sense that God's purposes are bigger than what's happening right here. That somehow God's plans and purposes are continuing on. This nation is destroyed. It's wiped from the face of the earth. Judgment is coming for Judah. Everyone knows it. Things just keep going from bad to worse, bad to worse. And yet everyone can see God is up to something. I don't think it is an accident that in a time of great upheaval, destruction, and judgment, when there is a time when it seems like there is darkness only and there is no light at all, that it is at this time that the idea of a purified people of God emerges, that it is at this time the idea of a Messiah who will save us and put things right. It's, it's at this time that this idea is born. And Isaiah and Micah, they speak of this unusual king. He's a strange king because he's a king through and through, and yet in some ways he doesn't always act like a king. He's a king who comes from humble and unlikely origins. Places like Bethlehem, places like Galilee of the Gentiles. He is a sprout from the stump of a once mighty tree. They thought that was dead and gone. And yet there's this humble new side shoot of new life coming, Isaiah 11.1. 1. His power is not of the sword. He's not a military leader, but his power is over the spirits of men and women. Isaiah 9.2, Micah 5.4. And his kingdom, his kingdom is entered by people who have been humiliated. 
a small remnant who in suffering and tragedy have been purged of their sins and have learned obedience to the will of God. Hosea 3, verse 4 through 5, Micah chapter 2, verse 12, and Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. And I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit because this, this idea of this strange king, this unusual king, it develops further in the decades that are coming. We learn that this king, he comes as a humble servant, lowly and riding on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9, who is despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Isaiah 53, verse 3. And even the ones he calls, this purified remnant, he calls to people who are meek, people who are mourning, people who are poor in spirit. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for you will receive the kingdom of God. Rob, you can come up here. So, I think the picture we see emerging in these prophets, it's hope beyond hope, but it is of a strange king, and he summons a strange people, those who are heartbroken, those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, and he summons them to a strange kingdom, and I don't I don't think we got to sugarcoat that at all. The kingdom of God is a very strange kingdom. It's strange because most people don't know about it. Most people don't care about it. They will not give the kingdom of God the time of day. They're too busy building their own kingdoms. Even within this building, We get worked up about our politics. We get excited about the ducks beating the beavers, and they did. And we show emotion for that. But sometimes we're just spinning the wheels. We're just punching the time card. We're just... And yet every once in a while, we wake up to this strange, beautiful kingdom that there is presented to us by Jesus Christ in his own person himself. And it's a strange kingdom because not only do not, most people don't care about it, they don't know how to find it. They just don't know how to find it. Everyone is looking for utopia, and no one is living in utopia except those who have surrendered themselves to Jesus Christ and are living as a living sacrifice because their life is over. And it's only, it's only if God is going to say something about me at the end after all of this, that there is hope. And it is a hope that lies beyond hope. And Paul talks about this too when he talks about this kingdom. He says, not many, not many of those who are wise, not many who are powerful, not many of noble birth are called. They're looking for their kingdoms other places and their comfort other places. But there will always be a remnant purified of their sins and their own brokenness. 
There will always be a remnant who are seeking after and learning at the feet of the light of the world and the good shepherd, the glorious ones in our midst, who is bringing us the longing of our souls and the healing that we have longed for and we can't find any other place. That is the power of what we share together, even in this humble little community in Eugene, Oregon, of the Churches of Christ. So uh, I don't know what words you are going to hear from this. Of course, if you want to put the Lord on a baptism, there's always that opportunity, and there's always an opportunity to come forward to get the prayers of this church. You can just meet me up front here while we stand and sing together.